You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. All right, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord and the way the Lord is moving here? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's, uh, oh, I want to encourage you. So a lot of you made decisions to start honoring God with a tithe last week. And so many people have approached me and said, we made this decision to honor God. I know that takes a tremendous amount of faith and courage. So I want to just cheer you on. I'm going to pray for you and encourage you as you make that decision. The church is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. It's a beautiful thing. So let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. And, and while it's on my mind, God, I want to pray for those who made a, a decision to honor you with their finances. And thank you, God, for stirring hearts, Lord. I don't see this as a numbers thing. I see this as a worship thing. I see this as a spiritual maturity thing. So move, continue to move in those hearts, Lord, as we, as we trust you. And now, Lord, as, as we go into this uh, message here, Lord, none of it matters unless you're in it, Holy Spirit. None of it matters, God, unless you're the one making the fire go. And, and I pray that you just uh, uh, make it go str- grow strong. You've already stirred my heart about this message, Lord. And you stirred it weeks ago, God. And I just pray that I'm, I'm faithful here, Lord. I pray that you, you work in me and through me, and, and you give me the words to say and direct my thoughts. And may you, Jesus, be glorified. I pray that every soul here has an encounter with you. Uh, Some people have had phenomenal weeks, others have had low weeks. Wherever we're at, we're all in different places in our walk with you, and and we cry out to you, and we need you, God. And I pray that every soul hears a word from you. And make that your prayer here this morning. Just say, God, speak to me. Make that your prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I want to show you some pictures here, guys, because I want to bring you just to see. You know, the title of today's message is It's Bigger Than Me. And, and the way our human nature is, is we're very self-centered by, by our human nature. That's just our flesh. We're very self-centered. We make self-centered decisions. When you go to a church and you visit a church, most of the time it's very self-centered concerns. How does this church meet my needs? Are they going to finish on time? Is it, you know, whatever it is, is it going to be, you know, according to what I think? You know, it's, that's just the way we're wired. And, and, and today I want to I help you see how God moves because you can make certain decisions in life that would be life-defining moment decisions. And, and these decisions could put your life on a new trajectory. So I want to start off just by sharing, uh, just bragging on how God has worked. So this picture right here was back in 2007, I believe. Is that right, Pastor Jeremy? 2007. And uh, this right here, many of you were not part of this. In fact, that guy with the mohawk right there, that's Zach's twin brother, Trevor, who is playing the bass over here right now. And that's Trevor. And Connor, a little bit older, I'm, I'm guessing... He was probably, I don't know, maybe fifth grade or something. I don't know, something like that. But uh, um, this is the first time we fed anyone. First time. We went to this church. It was called Jesus of Nazareth. That was a, it was a Jesus of Nazareth church. It was in the downtown area. And we partnered with this pastor named Scott Carranza. And, and we showed up. And we fed right around 250 people. And it was the kind of thing where people would show up and we'd have the long table and I'd serve the mashed potatoes and the green beans and this kind of thing. And Josiah, my son, was, 
I don't know, maybe seven years old. My daughter was, you know, all two or three years old or something like that. But anyway, so, so we were doing this, and that was the very, very first time. And while we were feeding them, a thought came into my mind. And the thought was, we could do this. We could do it better. That's just a competitive nature coming out. <laughs> we could do this. That, that was the first time I ever thought feeding people right there. It was at this event where I thought we can feed people, and this was uh, during Thanksgiving. So the, the next thing we did was eventually what happened was I had a coach, and this coach, his name was Sam Williams. And Sam Williams, a uh, really, really cool guy and older gentleman, he was in his 70s at the time when I would meet with him, and, and he coached a lot of churches, and he's literally started churches that are running over 10,000 in California. And, and, and Sam and I would meet every month, and he was the one who plugged in this thought in my head. And he said, you know what, Reuben, would be good is you should go to the city mayor and you should go to the school, uh, uh, the district superintendent, and you should ask them how you could be a blessing. So I went to both at the time and uh, talked to them and introduced myself and actually prayed for the mayor at the time. And and then we went to the school uh, district superintendent and and had a conversation with him, told him we want to be a blessing and this kind of thing. And we talked about the needs. They said, there's this one school that, that has a lot of needs, and, and, and here it was. It, it was called McElwain Elementary School. So McElwain Elementary School, this is the first time, the first year we ever did anything with a school, and all we did was provide a carnival. There was, there was cotton candy involved and popcorn, but there was no turkey. There was no you know, potatoes or onions or anything like that. It was just candy, and we set up in here, and, and we took over their gym, and we actually got gift cards and Walmart and stuff like that, and we gave it out. But this was our very, very first event with a school. We did not know what this would evolve to. The following year, we added another school and, and kept going. And, and look, that's Micah Simacopoulos with the piñata. He hasn't changed a bit, hasn't aged a bit, and that's him. But this school right here is, is North Star. Go to the next slide. This is North Star Elementary. So this is, uh, oh, the kids love the piñatas. I'll tell you, they love the piñatas. So we had a lot of fun, and we It was all candy and food. And then there was one year that we said, hey, what do you think about giving them food? That idea about a box of food came from two people. Their names are Matt Osborne and Eric Brown. Some of you know those two names. I asked, I told them, hey, I want to feed a whole bunch of schools. How do we do this? I want you guys to think about it. So they went away and they gave it some thought and they came back and they said, Pastor Ruben, we have an idea. Rather than having a big table and serving mashed potatoes and green beans, what if we put everything in a box? This way they could maintain their dignity and prepare it in their own home. And I said, that's a great idea. Uh, Eric was the one who brought it up. I said, Eric, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So we started doing that. And it was potatoes and onions and some cans, but there, were no, there was no turkey involved. And we started, you know, doing that. And there was this, we started doing it in these schools in McElwain, and the people would show up, and we just give them a box, and they take it to their car, and we pray for them, and 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 that's how we started loving on these schools. And then one day, it was after it was probably that first year we were, we were done with McElwain, and we had extra boxes. And we, I, I wanted to go out into the streets and give it away. You know, I thought about Jesus saying, you know, go out in the streets. and you know. So we, had, we were driving a U-Haul truck, and Toby was with me and myself, and there were some other people, and we were driving by this apartment complex, and I, and I said, hey, look at that apartment complex. It looks like they could use some help. It was the Renaissance on 88th Street. I said, well, let's turn in there. But I think Mario was driving. I'm not sure. But he, when he drove into that parking lot, we bottomed out, and the, the truck was so heavy, so we 
got stuck, and, and then we're starting to unload all the boxes, but trying to you know, lift the weight of the U-Haul truck to get it off of the center. It was high-centered, and we're stuck right there. And, and people started coming out as we were stuck, and we started giving boxes away to these families who were living in the Renaissance apartment complex. That's how we started a relationship with the Renaissance. Exactly how it started. And we kept doing that year after year after year after year, probably about the fourth year or so, the management team found out who we were. They called us the turkey fairies because they didn't know who we were, but we were delivering food. And then we developed this relationship. So I share all that with you to say, sometimes you just have to take one step. You take one step of faith and you don't know how God's going to use that step. God can use it in ways that you never imagined. I never imagined. <laughs> I never imagined just the power of having one meeting and saying, hey, how can we serve the community? What's the Achilles heel of this city? What could we do to help you that you just don't know what to do about? And then when I first met with the mayor, the mayor told me it's South Thornton. That's what the mayor told him. It's South Thornton. So eventually, we started a church, and now that church, Hope Hacienda, they're meeting in South Thornton. The reason why they're meeting in South Thornton is because of that meeting we had. That's why they're there. So it's that first step. So your small decisions in life, I'm going to go to church today. Your small decisions in life, I'm going to read the Bible today. I normally don't. I'm going to, I'm going to read the Bible. Your small decision in life, I'm going to start honoring God with my finances, or I'm going to stop watching that program, or I'm not going to go to that website anymore. Whatever it is, that small decision in life can lead to great things. What I've discovered is you have a God who wants to do great things inside of you and through you as well. And the life that God can give you <laughs> is better than the life you can give yourself. The life that God can give you is better than the life your boss can give you. Way better. I tell people all the time, I'm a living miracle and evidence and proof that God can use anyone he wants. Truthfully. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. This is a pivotal verse in the life of Thorn Creek. It's one of, we, we stand on two quotes this is one of the quotes. It's Paul the Apostle. When you have time, read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It's a phenomenal prayer that Paul says for the church of Ephesus. And he, he's talking, his desire is for this church of Ephesus to know Christ, to grow in, his, in their relationship with Jesus. And verse 20 is just a real climactic verse. It says this. Um, in fact, let's read it out loud, guys. I know it's a little bit long, but let's read it with some boldness. Now, all glory to God beautiful, through his mighty power to accomplish. Now just chew on that verse just a little bit. All glory to God, who is what? He's able. Through his mighty power at work within us. That resurrection power. God wants to work, do a thing inside of you that no money can do, that no relationship can do, no man, no woman. God wants to do something fresh inside of you. Why? To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more. Another version says it like this, NIV. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. You know, one of the 
I, I believe one of the sad things in life is when someone settles for a life that they can give themselves and forfeits the life that God can give them. You know what I mean? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to settle for a life that I can give myself. I want to live my life in such a way that people, they, people look and they say, I, you know what, I know Reuben, so I know there's no way he can do that. God must be working. I want to have that kind of life. Another version says it like this, now to him who is able. This refers to God's ability to do literally above all things. There's no problem you're facing that's too big for God to handle. There's no messy, complicated situation that's too big for God to handle. There's no person so far that's too big for God to handle. Nothing is impossible for God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond, this means surpassing, super abundantly, surpassingly, beyond measure, exceedingly, quite beyond all measure, overwhelming, over and above, more than enough. It describes an extraordinary degree involving a considerable excess over what would be expected. God is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power. That word power, it's not a dormant power. It's an effectual power. It's the power of the resurrection. It's the power of God that can breathe life into a bunch of valley of dried up old bones. It's the power that raised Lazarus after being dead for four days to come out. It's that power that can work inside of you. Do you want that power in your life? Is there something that has a hold on you that you're just tired of? And you're like, God, I just want, I just want that power. A.W. Tilzer said this. Here's the other quote. You want to know the two legs Thorn Creek stands on? It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. That quote from that church planter named Paul. And here's the other one. God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we only attempt things we can do on our own. When I first read that, I just got back from a conference in Mission Viejo, California. I was at Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church, and I was sitting in my office as a pastor in Colorado Springs. And I came across that quote, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. <clears throat> God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we only attempt things we can do on our own. And as a pastor, I asked myself this question, how much of my life requires God to show up or it's going to fail? I'll ask you the same question. How much of your life requires God to show up or it's going to fail? Do you only do things that fit on a spreadsheet? Do you only do things that make sense in your head? Do you only do things that work out on a calculator? Do you only do things if you work out the scenarios and you know what to do in those scenarios? Are those the only things that you do? For me, when I, when I asked myself that question, I put a percentage on there. I thought, okay, how much of my life requires God to show up as a pastor? Or it's going to fail. And you know what I concluded? At least 95% of the things I was doing as a pastor did not require God to show up as a pastor. And the Lord spoke to me with Ephesians 3.20 and A.W. Tozer's quote, and the Lord said, Reuben, you're going to start a church, and this church is going to do things that require God to show up. 
faith. Faith is hard sometimes, right? Courage. Putting yourself in the unknown. As I prayed about this, there were four people in the Bible that came to my mind that I want to share with you that really personified Ephesians 3.20. And they personified the life that God wants us to live out. So I want to walk with you through these four people that we'll look at here. The first guy's named Moses, and God used Moses to deliver an entire nation. And he's a pretty well-known guy. Exodus chapter 3, there is a pivotal point in the life of Moses that changed the trajectory of his life. It was a defining moment. Verse 1 says this, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far... Let me just stop right there. He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. There's no time wasted at all. Whatever you're doing, whatever, wherever you're at in life, God wants you to be faithful, whether you're a shepherd or whether you're a king. God wants you to be faithful with where you are at. Sometimes we find ourselves in a job or in a position and we think, oh, other people are more important or other people, what, what value is this? But I just want you to know God sees you where you are at. And God is able to promote, God is able to equip, God is able to bless he was a shepherd, and he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. At the time, he was not aware Sinai was a holy mountain. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? And then what does he say? I must, I must go see it. You know, the first step to knowing God is to giving God your focus, giving God your attention. Some of you have spiritual ADD. You're just always looking, always, even right now in this message, you've already gone. You're already else, somewhere else right now. Your head is checked out and you're here, but you're not here. But the first thing, if you really want to know God's will for your life, if you really want to know his purpose for your life, it has to do with your ability to fix your eyes on Jesus. What's the deal with a bush that's on fire, that's not being consumed? What's the purpose of that? The whole purpose of that is God needed Moses' attention. You know, God knows how to get your attention. And the enemy can use distractions in your life to keep you from seeing what God wants to do in your life, to keep you from following through on a decision. One of my favorite books is written by uh, C.S. Lewis. It's called Screwtape Letters. Anybody ever read that book, Screwtape Letters? It's a great book. Older book, classic book. He's a, just a wordsmith and classic writer. But the whole book, Screwtape Letters, is really a handbook for demons, teaching demons how to make Christians stumble. That's the whole book. And one of the whole chapters in Screw Tape Letters is all about distractions. It's all about distractions. As an example, you're in church and you have this moment where you feel like God is talking to you about surrendering yourself or committing yourself or dying to yourself, whatever it is. You're in church and you have this moment and you take a few steps out of the church and you notice that yellow car, or that orange car, and you notice that Bronco sticker in the back and then you think, oh, what time is the game? And, and before you know it, you forgot that moment you had in church. 
That's the way the enemy works. He, he just, there's just enough of distraction to keep your eyes off of what God wants you to do. And there's this burning bush, and Moses says, I must go see it. He's just taking care of the sheep. Do you think he's thinking this is going to be a pivotal, defining moment in his life? Not at all. He's just hanging out with this flock of sheep, and he's like, oh, look at that bush up there. Verse 4 says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Reminds me of James. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When God saw Moses coming to take a closer look, this is just the way God works. God, God reveals more. If you take a step to, toward Christ, you take a step towards God, God will see that, and he will he'll say, okay, you're going to take a step closer? I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you who I am. <clears throat> God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And here are these phenomenal three words. Say them out loud with me, guys. Here I am, Moses replied. You hear that? Just, here I am. Here I am. Do not come any closer to the Lord, Warren. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. He's educating Moses now. Because Moses is not aware that he's standing on holy ground. And he's teaching Moses. And then he doesn't, he doesn't even, Moses does not know who this God is. So verse 6, God introduces himself to him. Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he knows, Moses knows the stories of these guys. They're patriarchs. He knows about the stories of the parting of the Red Sea and and, or not the Red Sea, rather, but he knows about Abraham, Abraham, and Isaac, and these stories, and, and, and he has no idea God's going to use him to part the Red Sea. And Scripture says, when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. He covered his face because he was afraid to look at, look at God. I want you to hear this. Doing great things for God starts with, here I am. Starts with, here I am. Can you do that? It just starts with saying, God, here I am. You don't, you don't have to have all the boxes checked off. You don't have to have all of your questions answered. You don't have to know how everything's going to work out. You don't have to know the business plan. You don't need to know the blueprint of everything. It just, you don't need to know how it's going to work out financially or how this is going to work out or how this is. It's just, here I am. It's an attitude of surrender. It's an attitude of obedience. Here's the truth. Even in church service right now, for some of you, you do not need another church service. You just need to be obedient. There's nothing I'm going to say here that's going to be revolutionary. It's just a matter of you deciding to follow Christ with all of your heart. For some of us, we're educated way beyond our obedience. And God just wants us to surrender to him completely, and he's just waiting for that to happen. It's about your attitude. In verse, chapter 4, verse 10 Moses talks about a problem that he has. He says this, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. He's like, God, you have the wrong address. I'm not the one to deliver this nation. I never have been. And I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. Then he says this, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled, God. God said, you're perfect. You're perfect. You're perfect. Gideon's another guy. 
God used Gideon to defeat an army, and you read about him in Judges chapter 6. Judges, this is this phenomenal time, life before kings, and in Judges, Scriptures tells us that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You know anyone like that? That's the culture, that's the climate, uh, that, that's the spiritual pulse uh, during the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds a lot like us today. Verse 12 says this, here God meets Gideon, says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. This is a title that is new to Gideon. In fact, this is a title that he would never give himself. When you keep reading about who he, how he sees himself, you get the, he would never, ever, ever associate mighty hero with his name. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. Isn't that beautiful? Go with the strength you have. Some of you need to hear that. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. Then he says, I am sending you. You know what's majority? It's you plus God. That's majority. You plus God. Verse 15, but Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. You see, get a picture of the way Gideon sees himself, the way Gideon sees his family. Gideon is saying, my pedigree is not that great. My family hasn't done anything. In fact, there's not anyone in my family that's done anything worthwhile. And, and God, you have the wrong address. Go to someone who has a stronger heritage than me. Verse 16 says this, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. This is what God does. God looks past your weakness and sees you in him. For some of you, one of the strategies of the enemy is he wants to keep you in this place of guilt and shame. Guilt and shame and regret. And some of you, you may have lived in that place for so long, you just feel like this is just my life and I'm living out the consequences of my life and I'm living in guilt, shame, and regret. And you wake up defeated and you go to bed defeated. And you do things that you don't want to do, and you think, I'll never be the person that God wants me to be. This is just who I am. I want you to know God wants to set you free from that this morning. God wants to set you free from that. You are who God says you are. You are a child of God. And in Christ Jesus, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And some of you need to hear this. Maybe you grew up in a home where everyone in your home, you had a perfect example of what you did not want to be. Anyone have a home like that? You had an example of what you did not want to be. You can start a new heritage. You can start a new legacy. And it starts with your decision to put Christ first in your life. David is another guy. David is well known. He's one of the great kings, if not the most famous king of Israel. And God used him as a shepherd and turned him into a famous king. And when you read about David, when he comes up to, 
to, to the scene. He really becomes well-known and popular when he kills this famous giant. Remember the giant's name? Goliath. Goliath, yeah. He kills Goliath. When he kills Goliath, everybody says, who's this kid? That's when he becomes famous. In fact, he becomes so famous that a bunch of women write a song about him. And they say, oh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And of course, Saul didn't like that at all. But, but David rises to this place of popularity. And when he becomes king, the first mission he does, the first thing he does is he gets the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, I'm going to go get the Ark of the Covenant, and I'm going to bring it back to Jerusalem. That's where it belongs. So he goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant, but it becomes wobbly and shakily. And there's a couple of guys that try to hold it up, and they die right on the spot. That was a defining moment for David, because now he's, he's, he's rebooting. He's thinking, oh my goodness, these two people died. What, they touched the Ark of the Covenant. I thought I was in the center of God's will. I thought I was God's man. I thought everything was going well. I thought I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. I got advice about how to do this, and, and this happened. What is going on? And it rattles him. It shakes his theology a little bit. So much so, he parks, the, he parks the Ark of the Covenant at a house and he goes and he leaves it there for months and he's like, I can't deal with this right now. I got to figure out what all that was about. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 2, here's, here's a beautiful verse. Most people pass it up. Most people don't even, they don't even spend time contemplating this verse. But this is the turning point verse for David. Scripture says, and David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel and had greatly blessed his kingdom for the sake of his, for the sake of his people Israel. Defining moment for David. He all of a sudden realizes, wait a minute, this isn't about me. This is about him. This is about God's unfailing love for his Children, I'm just an instrument. I'm just a puppet in the hands of God. I'm just his rag doll. He's just chosen by his grace to do a work inside of me and use me. Anybody feeling what I'm putting down? You know what I'm talking about? David has this defining moment, and here it is. It's not about you. Beautiful moment, a freeing moment. When you come to this place, you're just aware this isn't about me. This is about God's love. When I was starting Thorn Creek, and I used to work in a little office off of Pennsylvania Street on 120th. It was a little office building there. And I was in the office, and the Lord took me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the same message that God, God shares. And the whole message is God's about to bless the children of Israel, and it's not going to be because of any person. It's not going to be because of a king. It's not going to be because of Moses. It's not going to be because of David. It's because of his grace. It's because of his love. It's because he doesn't want people to go to hell. It's because he wants them to know Jesus. It's because he cares about every soul, the lost soul. It's, it's this whole idea. And God spoke to me in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I read that, and I closed that book, and God said, Reuben, do you understand it's not going to be because of you? You are a sinner in need of grace. You are selfish weak, immature. It's not going to be because of you. You're not as smart as you think you are. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them you're not that smart. Can you do that and help me out? 
<laughs> and you know what happened after that? Check this out. <clears throat> after I had that moment with the Lord, I called up this company called Auto Troll, which is now where Westgate School is at. I called them out of the blue. I just noticed that it was a big building and there were a lot of parking spots and there were a few cars. There was no sign or anything. And I just said, hey, can I talk to someone about renting space? So I talked to this gal named Allison who was a Buddhist. She's a Buddhist. I said, hey, Allison, I'm a pastor. I'm starting a church in the area. At the time, we were running Three Strong, me, Grace, and Josiah. That was our church. I said, I'm looking for a church, a place to do church. Would you be open to letting us use your building to do church? And she said, yeah, 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 I think we will. Sure. Come on by. I literally, within 15 minutes of that phone call, I drove to Autotrol, which is Westgate School. I drove there, and I'm walking with Allison. I've never met her. And you know what? The whole time I'm walking, it's 21,500 square feet of space. And I'm walking through everything, and I can see where we can do church. We're running three people strong at the time. I can see where we can do church, and I can see what God is doing. And you know what? The whole time in the back of my mind, you know what's going on in my mind? It's not about you, Ruben. It's about my love for the people in this community. It's not about you, Ruben. That's where I live. I'm keenly aware of that. David, when you look at the life of David, after 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 2, his leadership changes. He becomes a better king. And he's going really, really strong until he sees this hot woman on a roof taking a bath. That's a whole other story right there. Really, he becomes really, really strong until his, one, his spiritual mentor, what was his spiritual mentor's name? Anybody remember? Jonathan. When Jonathan dies, he becomes a different king. But you see this, this, this part of David's life where he is just a phenomenal leader for God. And he recognizes it's not about him. He recognizes. John Ortberg said this, those who say yes to God, those who say yes to God's call, don't walk the walk perfectly. Not by a long shot. But because they say yes to God, they learn and grow even from their failures and they become part of his actions to redeem the world. Isn't that beautiful? Just because you say yes. Last guy is Peter. <clears throat> you gotta love Peter. This is an obnoxious type A guy, fisherman. But there was a moment in Peter's life that changed him. Matthew chapter 14 says, then Peter called to, then Peter called to him. He's, called, he's on a boat and he's calling out to Jesus, Lord, if it's really you. You ever say that prayer? God, if you're really talking to me, God, if you really want me to do this, God, if you really want me to go there, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Have you ever given God an impossible, what you define as an impossible prayer request? I think walking on water would fulfill that request. I mean, that's, that would define that, the impossible request. God, if it's really you, make me to fly like Superman. You know what I mean? That's like, God, if it's really you, I want to walk on water. How about that? I stumped you, didn't I, God, on that one, right? Because you understand physics and the way this works and mass and it's water. I got you this time, didn't I? And Jesus says, yes, come. Jesus said. So he's like, he like totally turned it around. 
He's like, okay, I'll take your double dog dare and I triple dog dare you now. You just asked for an impossibility. All right, I call you out on it. Show me your cards. You come. And what does scripture says? So Peter went over the side of the boat. A lot of times we look at Peter and all we think about is him sinking. But I want you to keep something in mind. There were 11 other people that didn't have the... (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) 11 other people inside the boat that didn't have the... Yeah, that's such a great church word. Courage. (laughs) That's what I was thinking, to get out of the boat. And it's true. It's true. But there was one that said, I just asked you to do the impossible. And you just called out, called me out on it. All right. But that was a defining moment for Peter. He only took a few steps. But it was enough to just blow up his mind and think, gosh, this is the God of Ephesians 3.20. Nothing's impossible for him. That moment right there undoubtedly shaped him to the point around a fire. He denied Christ three times. But after the resurrection, he stood up in front of thousands and proclaimed Jesus Christ because of that new power living inside of him. But it started at the boat. Some of you, you have your own boat. You know what that boat is? It represents security. It's where everything makes sense for you. It's comfort. There's no risk. In fact, if there is a risk, you've already calculated how things could work out, so it's really not a risk. And your boat, you like your boat, and you can be a Christian from your boat, and you can cheer on from the boat, and you can be critical from the boat, and you can do all those things from the boat. But there's this life that exists that Jesus calls you to that requires faith. You just need to step out of your boat. That's hard. I get it. When it doesn't make sense, walking on water doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. You have to get out of the boat. I like what Ortberg said. He said, there's always a call. God asks an ordinary person to engage in the act of extraordinary trust, that of getting out of What's God calling you to do? Some of you, you might be here, and maybe your relationship with Jesus Christ isn't just where it needs to be. I want you to know you're here right now because God wants you to turn to him with all of your heart. Others of you, you might consider yourself a Christian, but maybe you need to hear this. It's not about you. Maybe you need to hear this. You need to get out of the boat. Maybe you need to hear this. Maybe you need to say, here I am. Here I am. You know, it's really hard to change anything in your life when you worship it. It's really hard to change anyone when you worship him or worship her. God wants you to worship him above all else. And when he becomes your all in all, you're willing to 
act in obedience and surrender and trust him with everything else. Because God can take care of everything else. So, God, thank you for your grace and your love. You're such a good God. Thank you, Lord. And as, as right where you're seated, would you just keep your head bowed for a little bit? And maybe you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Would you say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I surrender myself to you. This morning, as best as I know how, I confess that I'm a sinner in need of grace. I ask you to forgive me for my sins, and I thank you for your grace. I choose to become a Christian. Put your Holy Spirit inside of me. Give me a new power to live a righteous life. Others of you, you might consider yourself a Christian, but maybe you need to say, God, here I am. I want to get out of the boat. <laughs> I want to get out of the boat. I want to experience the Ephesians 3.20, God, in a way that I never have before. I want to live my life, God, in such a way that when people look at me, they have to include God in their vocabulary. They have to include the supernatural because it doesn't make sense. So use me, God. Work inside of me first. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.